Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. In the next part of the story, we move on from talking about the realms of mankind to the elves. What were the elves doing during this period of the third age? This is also a section of the Silmarillion that coincides with a lot of the details that we can piece together during the Lord of the Rings. In my mind, I conceive of this section as being almost a response to the people who had read the Lord of the Rings and had questions or wanted a little bit of clarity around exactly what was going on. Who are the elves? Why are they still here? Which ones are still here? What about the elven rings? And then ultimately, what about the wise in general? Who are these wizards? Today, we're going to dig into what the Silmarillion tells us about each of these things and how they play into the the greater picture of the story. And as usual, there are a lot of details here that you're probably going to be familiar with. You'll be, oh, yeah, yeah, Elrond. I know where he is. I know he has one of the rings, things like that. But there are specifics in the words and the way Tolkien uses them that can shed some light on things in a slightly different way. Let's get into it. This section starts off talking about Master Elrond and what he was doing during the Third Age. And the first thing it says is that in all the days of the Third Age, after the fall of Gilgalad, Master Elrond abode in Imladris, Rivendell. And he gathered there many elves and other folk of wisdom and power from among all the kindreds of Middle-earth. And he preserved through many lives of men the memory of all that had been fair. Now let's pause it there. I have a sense, you might have a sense of where this is going. But let's focus in on some of the specifics here. He gathered not just elves, but other folk of wisdom and power. This is implying the wizards, of course. But who else has wisdom and power? Were other men there 
dwarven lords. And we know that there was a kindred, there was a friendship between the elves and the dwarves for some time. So possibly, what I like to think about when I read passages like this from Tolkien is that there are a lot of details that he never really delved into. For example, when we meet Gandalf in The Hobbit, he's presented as, oh, one of those wandering wizard types. And then eventually we learn that there's really only five of those and four of them wandered. So how many wandering wizard types are around that people would be so familiar with that concept? How does that make sense? A similar thing happens when, for example, Sauron's spirit returns and takes root in Mirkwood, which we are going to talk about in this episode as well. But they didn't know it was him. How many evil spirits are taking root in ancient strongholds in order to corrupt gigantic areas of land? <laughs> like, what else could this be? Uh, and yeah, maybe a ring wraith or something like that. I'm sure there could be speculation around that. But I think the way Tolkien presents these things, he does so in a the world is bigger and wilder and has things out there that may not have been detailed in the works that he's done. And he's totally okay with the idea that at any time, either other ideas could come to him or things just weren't completely detailed out. There might be other stuff out there. And that's kind of the way this is presented as well. Now it goes on and says, and the house of Elrond was a refuge for the weary and the oppressed and a treasury of good counsel and wise lore. We know Elrond has a certain sense of foresight, so counsel makes sense there. A treasury, a place where things are kept, and a place for the weary and oppressed. We've see, we see that happen with Bilbo after he gives up the ring, and also with Frodo when he needs tending from his wound from the Nazgul. But then we get very specific details here about the story as we've seen it unfold through the Silmarillion. In that house were harbored the heirs of Isildur in child and old age because of the kinship of their blood with Elrond himself. And I've detailed this before, how that line comes from Elros, Elrond's brother. So the line of Numenor, which eventually becomes the kings of Gondor, goes all the way back so to Elrond, somebody like Isildur would be a great, 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 like 16 times or whatever the actual number was, uh, nephew. <laughs> so they, they are related <laughs> and he remembers this. He's watched it happen over millennia. It goes on and says, and because he knew in his wisdom that one should come of the line to whom a great part was appointed in the last deeds of the age. And until that time came, the shards of Elendil's sword were given into the keeping of Elrond when the days of the Dúnedain darkened and they became a wandering people. He was the one who watched over the heirs, knowing that they would have importance in the future, and also the sword, knowing it would have importance in the future. But notice it doesn't get reforged, not during this long period of time. The shards are left in memory of what the sword did and the state it was left in 
broken similarly to the way the kingship had been broken and they were no longer in control of the land. There's an analogy there. Then we learn a little bit about some other locations. The Grey Havens of Linden. This is where many of the other people of the High Elves lived and worked, building and tending to the ships, making sure that any of their brethren who grew weary of the world had a way to get back to Valinor. And we're reminded that Cirdan the Shipwright is here, who we've talked about many times. And there's a very specific line in this section. It says, at times they would wander into the lands of Eriador. And I imagine that they'd be visiting some places that they previously might have lived, but no longer have the population to occupy. Also, we know from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that sometimes even the hobbits would notice elves traveling on the outskirts of their land. I have to imagine some of these elves were actually the high elves of the Noldor visiting Iriador throughout the years. And sometimes it was other elves heading back to the Grey Havens in order to head across the sea. The Shire was actually very close to this location, the same northwestern parts of the continent, just not quite on the coastline. And then we're reminded of the three elven rings. During this period before Sauron regains power, it says here, of the three rings that the elves had preserved unsullied, no open word was ever spoken among the wise, and few even of the Eldar knew where they were bestowed. And this is where Tolkien goes into the different rings and who their owners are and what they actually did. It says, where they abode, their mirth also dwelt, and all things were unstained by the griefs of time. This is their main function, is to still the passing of time, to maintain the power of the elves indefinitely, or at least into a time when they're no longer needed. It says, therefore, ere the third age was ended, the elves perceived that the ring of sapphire, this is the first time we get an actual color or a gemstone in the ring, was with Elrond. And then we get a very specific detail here. In the fair valley of Rivendell, upon whose house the stars of heaven most brightly shone. The stars and the elves are always tied together. And this may actually be a reference to Arendil as well. We know that Elrond is doing good things, and this is a sign of it. Then it goes on. Where is the ring of adamant was in the land of Lorien, where dwelt the lady Galadriel. A queen she was of the woodland elves, the wife of Celeborn of Doriath. Yet she herself was of the Noldor and remembered the day before days in Valinor. Just a reminder of her background and her history. Then it says, and she was the mightiest and fairest of all the elves that remained in Middle Earth. Mighty and fair. But the red ring remained hidden until the end, and none save Elrond and Galadriel and Círdan knew to whom it had been committed. Remember, it was originally with Círdan. And we know that that went on to Gandalf. That was a gift. Círdan knew that Gandalf would make more use of it and would need it. 
This is also why the areas of Rivendell and Lothlorien are preserved in a very elven kind of magical way. But places like the Grey Havens, although the elves dwell there, don't quite have the same sense. They don't have that same kind of vibe, if you talk to the kids these days. Man, I made a kids these days reference. That's good. I'm definitely not getting older. And the texts go on, and they don't talk about me getting older, but they talk about these two realms, that these two regions were in a period of bliss and beauty. The elves remained undiminished while this age continued. And I think that's something that's worth pointing out. A lot of people will talk about, oh, well, the elves elves are diminishing. Maybe they're reducing in their power or their magic or uh, their numbers or, or those kinds of things. And yet... As this age goes on, because of the rings, they actually hold out. At least the elves in these locations hold out. But they also know they can't do that forever. And in fact, they were very aware of this. It says, yet many voices were heard among the elves foreboding that if Sauron should come again, then either he would find the ruling ring that was lost, or at the best, his enemies would discover it and destroy it. But in either chance, the powers of the three must then fail, and all things maintained by them must fade. They knew their time was limited. They knew either the ring would be destroyed or it would be utilized by the enemy, and their rings would no longer be useful. And then we're given this quick little glimpse into the future. It says, and so indeed it has since befallen the one And the seven and the nine are destroyed, and the three have passed away, and with them the third age has ended, and the tales of the Eldar in Middle-earth draw to then close. This is interesting, because it, it actually tells us what happens to all of the rings. Of course, we know the one is destroyed. The seven, many of the dwarven rings we know were consumed by dragons or taken by dragons but i guess they all eventually are destroyed and the nine we know are with the nazgul or at least were with the nazgul until sauron took them from the nazgul because they had descended enough into his clutches into his control and then he kept the nine rings hidden at buradur most likely and so with the destruction of sauron must also have been the sacking of those locations, the finding of the nine rings and their destruction eventually as well, which makes sense. Why keep them around or with the destruction of the one ring, the others lost their power and therefore were quote destroyed by being rendered useless. There are details in other writings that go in more detail about this, but we'll cover that in the future. So we then get this paragraph that is basically a summary of the third age. Here, listen to this. Those were the fading years, and in them the last flowering of the elves east of the sea came to its winter. In that time the Noldor walked still in the hitherlands, mightiest and fairest of the children of the world, and their tongues were still heard by mortal ears. Many things of beauty and wonder remained on earth in that time, and many things also of evil and dread. Orcs there were, and trolls, and dragons, and fell beasts, and strange creatures old and wise in the woods, whose names are forgotten. Kind of a hint at the, uh, Ents, don't you think? 
dwarves still labored in the hills and wrought their patient craftworks of metal and stone that none now can rival. But the dominion of men was preparing and all things were changing until at last the Dark Lord arose in Mirkwood again. Basically, everything was going all right. The elves were sticking around. We still had some Noldor among us. The dwarves were doing their thing. Yeah, the men of the West were kind of suffering a bit with the whole loss of their kings, or at least the ruling line of kings being in power. But they were getting prepared for the next age, which would eventually be theirs. Oh, and it was cool until Sauron returned. Kind of ruined everything for a while. (laughs) That's basically what it's saying. But then we get more detail about what happens and how he comes back, which we'll get to after the break. Don't go anywhere. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Eufy to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So first of all, I have to apologize for missing last week. It was a busy week. My wife was out of town for like six days. I was uh, managing the house by myself and Halloween was coming up and then a bunch of family things happened. (laughs) Uh, So I apologize, but thank you for your patience. I'm glad that you're still here. And we have some patrons to welcome. We have some new patrons who have signed up in the last few weeks, including Jonathan B., Jeremiah H. Darth Feanor, that's a scary name, uh, Jeokim B. Sauron for Life, and Chia, Chia Head. <laughs> Chia Head, that's great. Uh, thank you for joining. Welcome to the Patreon. I hope you are enjoying the ad-free episodes, the bonus episodes, if you've signed up for those, uh, and then also t-shirts and cool stuff if you're signed up for those, like our VIP patrons, who include, let's get through this list as fast as we can, AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Aragorn III, Austin C, Azzle Razzle, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Christy, Christopher D, 
uh, Cutter Metalworks, Darth Feanor, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Fulcrum, Gavin Olaf, Gemma D, Jesse S, or I'm sorry, Jesse P, Jokim B, Jordan Rhymes, Kate L, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Lori B, Michael E, Nick K, Nick L, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Patrick W, Peace Lutheran Church, Rivqua, Sam B, Sauron for Life, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tristan P, Tour Son of Whore, Tyler B, Tyler M, Wes P, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you so much to all of you. And uh, also, got some new reviews that came in. Just a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it out on a future episode. These are all pretty quick, so let's get through these. We have St. Clair CS from the U.S. who writes, Awesome, just awesome. I've been a nerd for far longer than it has been cool, and since an Apple IIe was the computer to use to write a high school research paper on Gandalf as a Christian figure and robots has gone so much deeper. My commute transports me back to Middle Earth. Thank you. Well, that's awesome. I uh, also was using old technology like that to write papers back in the day. Uh, This one comes from ddp.com who says uh, great format and easy to learn the lore. If you have spent time listening to other popular Lord of the Rings lore podcasts and YouTube channels, please don't pass this one up. Perspective is everything and each holds their own. This channel does such a great job covering basics while introducing complex lore a bit at a time and always coming back to them when ready to dive deeper. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, both St. Clair and DDP. Also, we've got two more. This one's from really, really fun thumbs up from Ireland, who writes, awesome. I've always loved Lord of the Rings and basically all of the major fantasy worlds like the Elder Scrolls and Harry Potter. And I always loved the lore of Lord of the Rings. So this podcast is for me Four thumbs up. Thank you so much. Really fun. And then this one from Kevin the Ferret from the U.S. who writes, binge worthy. I cannot stop listening to this podcast. His voice is so calming and relaxing, and it is just a joy to listen to, especially as I try to read things very quickly. Uh, I have done 40 episodes in three days because I can't stop. Keep up the good work. 12 out of 10. Wow. That's even past the 11 that you would turn your amp up to. Uh, So thank you to everybody for your support. I can't do this without you, and I really do appreciate it. We've got more stuff to get to, so let's go talk about Sauron and maybe the wizards? Hmm. So we know Sauron returns. His spirit comes and inhabits Mirkwood, Dol Guldor, a old location in the southern part of Mirkwood. But how exactly does that work? Because Mirkwood used to be Greenwood the Great. We're told this here in this passage. This is where the elves of King Thranduil lived. And you would assume elves living in an area, it's probably very peaceful. It's probably has lots of uh, wildlife and birds and things like that. And it did for a while. But... It says here, after many years, well nigh into the third age of the world, a darkness crept slowly through the wood from the southward, and fear walked there in shadowy glades. Fell beasts came hunting, and cruel and evil creatures laid their snares. This changed everything. Even the name was changed. Mirkwood, it was called, it says, For the nightshade lay deep there, and few dared to pass through, 
save only in the north, where Thranduil's people still held the evil at bay. Like the journey of the dwarves and the hobbit, making their way through the northern part of the forest. But even at that point, it was very corrupted. Now, of course, at first, nobody knew which thing this was. What was this dark shadow? Why were these evil creatures being lured here? And of course, we know it's Sauron. But it took a while for them to discover this. This was something that was on Gandalf's mind. One of the reasons why during The Hobbit he leaves the party is to go explore and find out what's actually going on in Dol Guldur. Speaking of Gandalf, the next part of this section talks about the wizards. So let's take the next section and and read through it and find out what we discover. It says, Even as the first shadows were felt in Mirkwood, there appeared in the west of Middle-earth the Istari, whom men call the wizards. So we have a rough estimate of when the wizards arrive. According to this, it's during the Third Age. Because otherwise, if it was during the Second Age, then... Sauron wasn't dead yet. He wouldn't have returned to come back and inhabit Mirkwood and haunt the place. So it must have been some number of years into the Third Age. Although in the Silmarillion, it doesn't detail the specifics. Now, of course, this goes contrary to what seems to happen in the uh, the TV show, The Rings of Power, but they've taken their liberties. We've, we've talked about that before. Uh, it goes on, it says... None knew at that time whence they were, save Círdan of the Havens, and only to Elrond and to Galadriel did he reveal that they came over the sea. So this is interesting. Círdan was the only one there when they arrived, and he only shared it with Elrond and Galadriel that they came out of the west. This is important. It goes on and says, But afterwards it was said among the elves that they were messengers sent by the lords of the west to contest the power of Sauron. So word got out. If he should rise again and to move elves and men and all living things of goodwill to valiant deeds. In the likeness of men they appeared, old but vigorous, and they changed little within the years and aged but slowly, though great cares lay on them. This is interesting as well. They appear as men, they change little, but they do age. The Gandalf that shows up centuries, millennia, before the Gandalf we meet in The Hobbit is younger. Not maybe considerably younger. He always looked like an older man, but still younger. Great wisdom they had and many powers of mind and hand. Notice powers of mind and hand, not necessarily magic. It's a Tolkien thing, right? We talked about the nature of magic. Long they journeyed far and wide among elves and men and held converse also with beasts and birds. Radagast, for example, right? And the peoples of Middle-earth gave to them many names, for their true names they did not reveal. Chief among them were those whom the elves called Mithrandir and Kurunir, but men in the north named Gandalf and Saruman. Now, there's a reason why they noted those two, because those are the ones that we would be familiar with from the Lord of the Rings. So I'm sure Christopher Tolkien's going, OK, well, let's let's at least focus on the ones people are familiar with. But those are probably the two most important ones anyway, due to the way things play out. So let's just bring them up here. It goes on. 
Of these, Kurunir was the eldest and came first, and after him came Mithrandir and Radagast. So we know the order that they show up in. And others of the Istari who went into the east of Middle-earth and do not come into these tales. Of course, the blue wizards. Radagast was the friend of all beasts and birds, but Kurunir went most among men, and he was subtle in speech and skilled in all the devices of smithcraft. All right, so let's pause here. First of all, why would Radagast focus on beasts and birds? What is the point of that? What do the beasts and birds have anything to do with the politics of the peoples of Middle-earth? Well, we've seen that the enemy can use beasts and birds, can communicate with them, get information from them. Radagast, by connecting in with nature more completely, was doing the same thing. He was keeping a pulse, I guess you could say, of the health of Middle-earth by connecting with the beasts and the birds of nature, much like the elves do. And then it talks about Kurunir going among the men, subtle in speech, skilled in all the devices of smithcraft. Remember, Kurunir was one of the Maiar of Aule, and so was Sauron originally. There's this theme in Tolkien's work of people who are powerful, able to make their own things, and wanting to then control them. He also spent the most time with the men, which is interesting because we know the men can be easily corrupted. I think that's another analogy you could draw between Kurunir, Saruman, and mankind. But he also didn't spend as much time with the wise, with the elves, or the other peoples. He focused so much on this very specific group and a very specific region and left everything else out in the open, thinking it was not as valuable. But as we know, Mithrandir, Gandalf, goes and talks to all the peoples of Middle-earth. It says, He wandered far in the north and west, and made never in any land any lasting abode. He was constantly a wanderer. That's what this is saying. And there's an implied value in that, maybe, or maybe I'm just looking at this back through the lens of knowing the stories, because it is contrasted again with Kurunir. The only reason Mithrandir is brought up in this part of the paragraph is as a contrast. It says Mithrandir was closest in council with Elrond and the elves. And then it contrasts it with Kurunir. He says, but Kurunir journeyed into the east, but then when he returned... He dwelt at Orthanc in the Ring of Isengard, which, of course, the Numenorians made in the days of their power. He journeyed into the east and then came and just found one place to stay. What happened when Saruman was in the east? We know Sauron's power was taking root over there. We know the men of the east were being corrupted, enslaved, forced to his will. What did... Saruman find and then why go back and only stay in one location was he hiding from something and we know how the story plays out but there's more to say here about Gandalf and we'll cover that next week 
Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.